Well, if you have a Bible, uh, grab it and open it to Acts chapter 19. If not, you can listen. We're going to have it on the screen. There's power in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? I have an image of a, a lion. Scripture says he's both lion and lamb. What does that mean? John goes and is given a glimpse in the throne room, and he sees both a lion and a lamb slain. Interesting. Metaphors, images, things to help us think about God. Think about what he's doing, what he's doing here in our lives, what he did in the scripture. You hear the stories in scripture, and today you're going to hear a bunch in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to cover some ground. We're going to do it kind of fast as far as the actual text, but you're going to watch people who are in the same seat, not a gray padded one, but the same seat that you are, whereas you have your life and the things that are happening in your life, and you are having to make decisions about whether or not you will follow the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God. It's a tough decision sometimes, isn't it? I've been thinking a lot about what it takes to be moved into the kingdom of God. Now, we like to say, I made a decision, but really it's more about being transferred. That's what scripture uses. He has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That sounds like more than just a decision. And yet some Christian authors, Dallas Willard would be one. I love Dallas Willard. He says this, it is also simple and profound at the same time that you can move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God with your mouth. From your heart, with your mouth. Anybody know this verse? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple, right? Profound as well. Paul continues, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Well, I said the words. I'm good, right? Eh. Maybe, maybe it's complicated. I'm thinking a lot about the process and how, what it takes. I am 50 years old and I am growing in Jesus right now. And I would say, I told my daughter last night, we were sitting with her at dinner and I said, I think I've grown more in the last two years than the previous 20. Just because I am sensing God's work and he's, and how do you know you're growing? <laughs> If you do a whole lot of humbling yourself and confessing and saying, man, I was wrong about that. That's a real, that's a sign. And so I've been doing a lot of that. I've been doing a lot of that. Having to say, oh, I was so wrong about that. I was so wrong about that. Lord, help me. This, this should be the case for us. If we are in Christ, we're growing but there's movement. There's, there are things that are happening. There's a receptiveness. There's not a rigidity. There's not a, I don't, I'm good. I'm done. I said the words and leave me alone. There's movement. So Acts chapter 19, we'll jump right in. Paul is with more people. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and he keeps going to different towns. And so he's going to end up today in Ephesus. Yes, that Ephesus. Ephesians. If Ephesians are some of the verses that you love, this is where he's going. These will be the people that will receive those words eventually. But so let's watch as he enters the town, Acts 19, verse 1. 
While Apollos was in Corinth, so he left behind somebody who could do some teaching, could continue to build and work and help people grow there. Paul said, I'm going on. And he traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. I love that. It's just so cool. It's like, no, who's, who's the Holy Spirit? What are you talking about? Well, it's just, he says, well, then into what then were you baptized? Into John's baptism, John the Baptist. Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Good. Telling people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is in Jesus. Okay. There's a name. There's a name. There's power in the name. Sorry. I got to do this. Sometimes it just likes to get out of balance. There we go. They heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began to speak in tongues. What is that? And they started to prophesy. What is that? There were men, these were men, about 12 guys in all. Paul entered the synagogue after this, spoke boldly over a period of three months. So he's doing the things he's been doing. This is how God is building his church. He's arguing, he's persuading to them about the kingdom of God, but some... When some heard it, they were hardened. They became hardened and would not believe and actually went so far to slander the way. This is something, a phrase that's going to be used of Jesus and his kingdom. They're going to start calling it the way. And so these guys are like, not only do we not believe, we think this is bleepity beep, bleep, bleep. You shouldn't listen. Like, okay, they're slandering. They're going after the way in front of the crowd. And so he said, hey, fine, fine, fine. He withdrew from them. Taking the disciples, those who were interested, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Probably a benefactor, probably somebody who owned a big building, probably somebody who was interested and maybe believing. He said, hey, I kind of like what you have to say. Come to my place. And then let's do some more of this teaching. Two years they did it. Let's, let's go. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So Paul encounters some people who actually believe in God enough. They've pursued a level of change, of repentance. They've transformed. They heard about John's baptism and they said, yeah, we want to be right with God. But he noticed something was missing and he felt this nudge. And I want you to pay attention to any nudge that you receive from God. Psalm 38, your hand is pressing on me. You can tell when God is trying to get your attention. You, would, you may say, no, I can't. I've never been able to. I'm praying, and this is something I think God starts to do. You will start to feel and sense and question things, and stuff will begin happening in your heart. You'll feel a nudge. Also, if you know Jesus, you'll feel a nudge to talk to people, to be in relationship with others. And so Paul sees these guys, and he's like, talking with God and he's interacting and he's listening to them and he feels a nudge to ask them a question. Hey, have you believed fully? How do you know Jesus? And so he asked the, you know, who, how, what did you believe? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I love their honesty. Um, and their, so John's message, what's the difference between John's message and Jesus' message? Paul tells you, John it was repentance, which isn't a dirty word, by the way. Sometimes we hear that. And if you've ever heard somebody like 
criticizing, pursuing God. They're like, I don't want to listen to those, those preachers or like repent. You know, they use, that's how that word kind of comes out with like venom. Repent. It just means to change and transform and to turn. It's, it's a beautiful word. It's, it's change your life, change your way of thinking. Metanoia, change your mind. That's the, actually the, what the word means. Change what you're pursuing, how you think about things. And so they were open enough to do that. But he said, hey, you need the spirit of God in you. You need the power of the name of Jesus. So we must resist and I keep saying this, and it's because I've done it. And so I want to impart what I'm learning to do. We must resist the urge to boil down Scripture to immediate application and prescription. Well, Paul asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit, and so I need to be doing that to people, and then I need to be laying my hands on people, and I need to be praying. And, if, here, and what have some done? They've said this, those who really know God— who have truly been baptized in Jesus, prophesy and speak in tongues. That's what, ha that's what we do. We start to get, we boil it down and it's instant ramen. It's like, yes, open the packet, pour in the boiling water, make it through college. Like that's what we can do. We want to do this quick thing with Jesus and I got it. I know it. Look, he spoke in tongues, he prayed. And you may be saying, what is speaking in tongues? What is prophesying? So let's talk just a little bit because you can ask, well, how, we ask questions. Well, how can I do what Paul did? Or how can I be sure? Or how do I know? When do I get to speak in tongues? Or when do I get to prophesy? In our world, you could YouTube this. You could get on YouTube and you could type it in and you're going to get like a hundred videos. Probably some telling you some things and some telling you another on how to do this. What do we do with it? Like, what should we do? So I want to say this first about our belief as a church and this is linked to our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church. We believe when you believe in Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you receive the whole thing, the whole package right then. You surrender, and it's not like, well, you're good, but you're going to need something else. You're going to need another, like, supercharge from the Spirit or something in order to really, really be a Christian. That's not what we believe. I've read arguments about that. I've seen other people. That is a common theological teaching in other denominations. It's not what we believe. We believe that if you surrender, God says, then I'll take you. Boom. Whole thing. You get all of God. It's kind of wild to think about. All of God resides in you. And so when you even think about the fruit of the spirit, and it's important to say fruit and not fruits. Because when you say fruits, you think, I got to work on that one, man. That one is just so missing from my life. I have zero patience. Lord, can you please give me patience? If we believe what scripture says about the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control already latent within you within the spirit of God that resides in your heart. And so it's just a matter of you being enough of a branch to God, allow God to pop it out. And that's surrender and that's the place of growth. And so we believe you get the whole package. What I want you to focus on instead of the stuff, because we have sometimes a way of, of making the thing 
important and not what's behind it is I want you to focus on the fact that God had done something in these guys to get them ready for this moment. His hand had been pressing. They were sensing something was supposed to happen so that when Paul asked them, hey, do you, have you received? Are you ready? They were ready to say, no, we haven't. And sure, we'd like that. What evidence right now in your life, I want you to think about it, what circumstances is God allowing that have led you to where you are today? Have you felt your own heart being made ready to receive Jesus for the first time? Or maybe to grow in a way that he's been pressing on you to do. You can, I said, you can tell he's moving. You'll be able to tell when he's nudging you. So that's the first group. Those two guys, there were 12 guys on the side of the road. He's talking to them. They're listening. They respond. They receive the Holy Spirit. They prophesy and they speak in tongues. So we'll talk about that in just in a second as far as like why those things specifically. There were others though, they were not ready and they resisted. And it says they became hardened and would not believe slandering the way in front of the crowd. So how does this happen in a heart? How can you become hardened to the ways of God, the things of God? And I think it's a mystery because you can choose to harden your heart. You can say, I'm not listening to this. I reject what you're saying. But it can also be that God gives you over to the hardening. Ugh. What? Yeah, you can receive chance after chance after chance after chance, and you can say, no, 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 no. And we see it in the book of Exodus with Pharaoh. We also see it in Romans 1, where God eventually just says, okay, you do you then. And I think it's, it's in it, and I don't know how that works with sovereignty. I don't know how that works with God choosing us, but I know that that's also in there, that he will give us over to hardening. And so Paul actually steps away. And I want to say this about those who have people that don't know Jesus, that are in your family or friends. What does it mean to walk away? What does it mean to stay? And I, I'll say this, it does not mean that you shun people. It does not mean that you go out of your way every time you see them at a family gathering to tell them how much you disagree with their way of life. I just want you to know, I really disagree with your sinful lifestyle. And if you would just turn to Jesus, like every time you see them, like you're just like, that is not what it means to walk away. It means that you are noticing a nudge from the spirit like Paul was to say, okay, they're not ready, but I am gonna be involved in their life. I'm going to love them. I'm going to continue to respond. I'm not going to shun them. I'm not going to kick them out of my life. There's a difference. The only time in scripture where it actually says that is if somebody is claiming to know Jesus, claiming to have him in their hearts, and they start proclaiming that and teaching, you don't need to worry about this. You don't need to worry about this. That's when the church says, kick into gear and actually talk to that person and say, hey man, that's not true. Don't say that kind of stuff. If you continue to, we're going to maybe need to ask you to step away from our fellowship because that is not. But if you're here today and you're struggling, you're not there yet, you're doubting, you're wondering, it's so good that you're here. It's so good that you're here. And if you're in a family and you have kids that are that way or you have friends at work that aren't there, you hang in there with them. Walking away does not mean shunning them. But we got to know when to walk away. 
when to not press a conversation, when to trust that the Spirit has not done that work yet in them. And I think one of the things, just think about where you are today. For those that would say, I know Jesus, how much had to happen to get you there? How many years? How many conversations? How many moments of you listening and responding? So much. So don't expect instant ramen in the people that don't know Jesus around you. Let them process, let them proceed. So the one thing I want to see, ask, just say this, is what about your heart today? Are you ready? Ready for what? Scripture takes us right there. Ready to receive or reject Jesus? Receive or reject? Just basically to, to put it out there to say, all right, this, it does come down to that. Eventually, you cannot be in the middle. You cannot stay in the gray. We can resist, and there can also be spiritual forces at work that are assisting our resistance. It's wild to think about, and something that we don't like to think about in our Western sensibilities and our enlightened minds of the, since the Enlightenment, but there are spiritual forces at work, and you want to respond to God while you have time. God is patient. And yet it also says there's an urgency, kind of a pull in two directions. Scripture would say, work it out, ask the questions. And those of you who, like I said, are working with others, you're praying for others, give them time. But scripture also says what? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. If you sense him pressing, respond today. How many days of questions in the guys that were standing there ready to receive the Holy Spirit? How many days of questions and doubts preceded that moment before Paul put his hands on them and prayed for them? Probably hundreds, hundreds to get them ready. But you can ask the same question of the people who harden their hearts. How many chances had they been given? How many times had they said, no, 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 I reject that. And then... Was this just them being hardened or was God actually giving them over? So ready to receive or ready to reject. Just keep that in your head as you start thinking about how people are responding. Let's go to the next couple of verses. Verse 11, God was performing, and I didn't forget about prophecy in tongues, but I'm going to use this next part to talk about it as well. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. So that even face cloths or aprons that had touched the skin, his skin, were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, yes, exorcism in the Bible, that's where we get that word, also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. You can already tell that the prayer is a little off. <laughs> I command you by the Jesus that that guy believes in. Oops. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them. Whoa, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who the bleep are you? It's pretty much what's happening here. Who are you guys? Then the man who had the evil spirit, this is like awesome sauce right here. As far as stories go in the Bible, jumped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Hello. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. I bet they did. Just look at those guys running down the street naked and bleeding. What's going on? In the name of the Lord Jesus, the name 
They tried to speak in the name. The result, though, was that the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books, burned them in front of everybody, so they calculated the value, found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord, and we could say the name, spread and prevailed. After these events, Paul said, I'm going again to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, it's necessary for me to see Rome as well. He's just going to keep doing what God has called him to do. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So if you're more charismatically inclined, words like prophecy, tongues, and miracles get you very excited. You're like, yes, and you should. Okay, it's clear that that is something that God does for sure. And I have been on both sides of this. I'll just say that I've been on the super nerdy academic side for a while. That's like, oh, I'm not suffering rah, 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 rah. miracles and prophecy. What's wrong with you? You know, I've been there and I've also been where people have spoken prophetic words over my life. And I think I've told you guys about one when I quit. I quit being a pastor. I don't know if you knew that. I quit. I was like, Forget this. This is stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. Stand there. This person who did not know me, I was actually in another state, had me stand up and said, you a pastor? And I was like crying at this point. I said I was. Hmm. I see the word P-A-S-T-O-R written over your head. The Lord wants you to know that he decides when you're done. I was like, I'm leaving. Like that's how, I mean, it was like, what? So I've been on both sides. And so we should get excited. We should get excited about that. This is, you know, just what we can touch and hit. Like, it's not all there is for sure. God has power. He knows what you're thinking right now. You're like, oh, shoot. I'm, I'm going to start. <laughs> you're like, I'm going to start thinking of something different. He knows you inside and out. And so he has access. There, are, there, is, there is another supernatural spiritual realm. And so you should get excited about that. And we as a denomination also do not believe that the gifts have ceased. I'll just tell you that. You're free to. It's not a load-bearing wall, okay? We talk about the load-bearing walls around here. Jesus is the only way. This is God's word, the Holy Spirit, the triune God. There's going to be a judgment. There's a heaven. And those are the load-bearing walls. But whether or not the gifts are active today, that's not a load-bearing wall. It's okay if you would say, I don't know about that. That's kind of weird. But here's the thing. There is a temptation of making the thing the thing when it's not supposed to be the thing. That's what can happen where we get so excited about the possibility of a miracle or of somebody speaking, like, I mean, you heard my story. Can I tell you that? Sure, I would love for people to speak prophetic words over me like that all the time. That would make life so much easier, right? How should I invest my money? Here's a letter from God to you, and here's what you should do. <laughs> like, you know, we would love that kind of information. But we have a danger of making that the important part in forgetting the name behind it, the power of the name behind it. Did you know that you can go online right now and search for anointed prayer cloth and dozens of sites will come up of people saying, I've prayed over this cloth. If you buy it for $19.99, <laughs> I'll send it to you and you can 
put it on your loved ones and you can pray for them. Guess where they got that from? Acts 19. Okay. I'm not saying that doesn't maybe work every once in a while, but I'm saying it's the wrong application. It's the wrong application because God and his spirit in you, he may indeed have you pray for someone to be healed and they will be healed this side of eternity. But he also may answer that prayer in eternity. And we have to be okay with both. So we must push deeper. I want to be somebody who doesn't go for the easy application. Like, oh, prayer cloths, aprons. We had any aprons? Like that's, you know, that's kind of the quick thing we want to do. Like, I want, to, I want that power. I want to do this kind of stuff. We got to go deeper. We got to go to the name behind it. So 10 commandments. Commandment number one, I am the Lord. There is no other. There is no other God. Worship me alone. Number two, don't carve a graven image of me. Don't make an idol. I learned this about idols because scripture kind of makes fun of people who, who make idols. It's actually mocking. You get into some passages in the Psalms and Isaiah, and it's like, look at these dummies. They're going out there. They cut down a tree. With half of it, they cook their food. And with the other half, they carve this image, and then they bow down and worship it. Dummy. And I was just listening to a biblical scholar, and he said, they didn't actually believe that the wood and the idol had power, but the demonic powers that could come and inhabit that object, they knew that their gods, Scripture talks about lesser gods. Yes, they're created. Lots of different interpretations of fallen angels, demons. We know there are heavenly creatures. Some of those creatures potentially rebelled, all that kind of stuff. Again, not low-bearing walls, but interesting. They have to have something to inhabit. Their gods actually need something. So they would make a table and they would say, come on, inhabit the table. We love you, so-and-so. The name. Commandment number three. So we got I am the Lord, your God. You should have no other. Commandment number two, do not carve a graven image. And you're like, okay, 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 okay. And number three, don't cuss. What? Isn't that what we think though of number three? Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That's all we've ever thought it was. And it kind of seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Like he's seen these huge things, no other gods, no idols. Don't cuss. <laughs> it's, it's lame, isn't it? I was listening to, again, two biblical scholars. I want to grow. I want to grow in Jesus. And so I listen to people. I, I dig in. I read. And here's what they said. If you dig in to what that command, it's, it's this. Don't carry the name of God or the name of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Well, now that's a little different, isn't it? Not that we also, of course, we want to honor the name of Jesus and as it moves from our lips and the things like that. And it should grieve us when people use it in the wrong way, but that's not what that means. Don't carry the name, bear the name, the power of God in your life in an unworthy manner. So there's tremendous power behind the name, his authority, his creative power, his regenerating power. And notice that Paul isn't the focus. Verse 11 says, who was performing? God was performing miracles through the hands of Paul, but God was performing the miracles. 
So as we look at this, like, and I just want to give you a couple of things of how to understand miracles and prophecy and potentially speaking in a mysterious tongue. There's two interpretations of tongues. One in Acts, you see that it was actually really known languages that were spoken for others to actually hear the gospel. The other is that it's a private language, a prayer type language that you use in prayer. Okay. I've heard of, and I believe in both. So, but what do we do with this? With Paul doing this stuff and the prayer claws and the aprons, and we're like, I don't know what to do in 2023. What am I supposed to do? I believe in the power of the name of God. But how do I, what, what do I do with it? So, the first would be this. And this is definitely something you'll hear from those who have dug into the text. This is God establishing his kingdom. Acts, the church, what were the evidences of the church? There was prophecy. There were people speaking in tongues. There was the spirit falling on them. And so Paul comes to another town. It's not Jerusalem. And he prays for somebody. And what happens? Same things. And it's God saying, yeah, this is the real deal. This is me. And he's an apostle, an apostle in the, with the 12 apostles. But also Paul was considered one because he had a visitation from Jesus. And so there is a special anointing and a power as God is establishing his church. And so the academic, more, you know, kind of heady approach to this is saying, that's why we won't see any more miracles or anything else because it's only those guys. Okay, that's one way. That's one way. I think it's a little restrictive. Um, the second is this. If you're not doing these things, you don't know him. I have been told that. People have said that to me. If you don't see miracles happen in your life, if you aren't prophesying, if you aren't, then hey, it's not really, it's not real. So where do we land? Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle, which says this, and it's safe. Should we pray and ask for God to perform miracles? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you are sick, we have done this. We go and we pray. We lay hands. We ask for God to heal. But... We trust that if he doesn't do it here, he does it on the other side. And if he does it here, we can celebrate it. We can celebrate it. If he doesn't, we trust him, and we, but we don't say, well, it didn't work that time, so I'm not doing it again. No, pray, pray. You have access to power in the name of Jesus. And if you may prophesy, you may be somebody with that gift. You may have the gift of tongues at a certain point. You may not. Not a load-bearing wall, not something you have to completely worry about, but I would more want you to focus on the power of the name of Jesus behind it. So I want you to sit back and here's what I, like, let's go even one more layer deeper. So on the top surface level, it's just the stuff that's happening. One layer deeper, which is a good one, is the power behind the name of Jesus. Let's go even one more level deep. And it's this, you're telling me that he, Paul didn't even have to be in the room for somebody to experience the power of God that had been kind of sent. He was an ambassador for, he represented, and this cloth, that's what they're saying here, actually was brought to somebody else. And they're like, hey, I heard this from Paul. He talks about this guy in Jesus. So I'm just going to try this and see what happens. And they got healed. You're telling me that God can do something in somebody's life, somebody that I love, and I don't have to be in the room? What is one powerful conduit that God has given us for an indirect ability to see someone transformed and we don't even have to be in the room? 
prayer. You don't have to be in the room. They can say, don't you pray for me. Don't you talk to me about Jesus. And you're like, Lord, I really want to ask you to keep moving in that guy's heart because he does not like you. <laughs> or even your children, even whatever it is, like you have access to the power of the name of the resurrected son of God to see transformation in someone's life. And you don't have to be in the room. You don't even have to have the perfect conversation. And even when you're with them, if God's not opening doors for deep theological conversations and all you can do is just be with them and love them and care for them. And then when you get back in your secret place and you're like, Jesus, I want to see your kingdom come in their life. And I'm not going to give up until you do it. That's what we should draw from what's happening here with Paul. You don't have to be in the room. Pray. Is there something in your life right now that seems like you can't get past it? Is there somebody in your life right now that you would say, there's no way I can reach them? Your link is prayer. Your link, if you tried everything else, your link is prayer to ask God to move. Now, there's also a warning here. There's a warning because you have these guys who are like, wow, that guy's got prayer cloths. Hey, we have any prayer cloths or aprons? What's he saying? Jesus, somebody, hey, let's try. Let's try it. They try and one demon, and I love this. I, I really think it's awesome because I think it's one of those stories where you're like, the demons look at this guy and if it's Paul, they're like, oh man, it's Paul. We can't touch him. That's pretty much what they're saying. If you were known by Jesus, if Jesus resides in your heart and demons come up to you and they want to mess with you, they pretty much need permission. They look at your life and they go, shoot. <laughs> Another one. That one's taken. That one. And that's, that's what happens. You go up and you don't have Christ. And you dabble in Jesus a little bit. You're fair game. If I do the very simple interpretation of this passage, let's just say this. If you don't want to get beat up or run out of your house naked, you need to be known by Jesus. So that's a shallow interpretation, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> but the name of Jesus is rising in esteem and people are realizing there's power. So what wisdom can we draw from this well, this story? You don't, rent, you don't mess around with the name of Jesus. Don't mess around. You guys ever wondered why they have gargoyles on churches? All around in Europe, like there's these like demonic looking ah, things hanging off of churches be like, come to church. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and so that some of the interpretation is basically that one that to ward off evil spirits was one thought. The second was to remind people that, hey, this is real. There are spiritual forces at play. You do not mess around with the name of Jesus. There's true power in him. People are so overwhelmed at the name of Jesus that they are voluntarily burning their livelihoods. 50,000 pieces of silver, even that translates to 2023, doesn't it? 50, it's worth 50,000 pieces of silver. They're bringing their, what is their livelihood, putting it publicly and saying, I am burning this. In front of everybody. I don't want anything to do with it. I have to be done with this lifestyle. Transformation. 
ready to receive or reject, not messing around with the name of Jesus, receiving, and it changes them. They're transformed. If you have any connection to the internet and any of Christian sources this week, you've probably heard of what's happening in Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. Powerful stuff. And if you haven't, just Google it afterwards. Asbury Seminary, A-S-B-U-R-Y. They had a chapel service on February 8th and they closed the chapel service and they were singing a worship song and nobody left. For an hour at first. And it's not like they had a full band. They had one person with acoustic guitar just singing and they never left and they kept going and they kept going and it's still going. 24 hours a day. Yeah, we can celebrate the power of the name of God and people are traveling. People are waiting in lines for half a mile to get into the service to, to experience this. People are flying from other countries. If you go down there, please come back and tell us about it. But here's what I want to tell you. That power right here, not PV, as Dallas Willard said, it's as close as from your heart to your mouth. It's available right here. The power of the name of Jesus to affect and transform your life. Last few verses. We're going to fly through these and I only have a few thoughts because it's just kind of another addendum to what was happening. Because um, when Jesus' name is proclaimed, things happen and people get excited and people get mad. Okay, so we're going to fly through this. The text is actually going to be more of what I say than what I'm going to comment on afterwards because it says a lot and I think it's pretty obvious. So let's just read the last few verses. Verse 23, about that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. Now back then, they had absolute, com like there was no separation of church and state. It absolutely was connected. And so worship and government overlapped. And so Artemis actually, and Artemis, no doubt there were lots of statues, but Artemis was probably inhabited demonically. There, it's not that there's nothing going on. There are real things going on. You're either carrying the name of God or you're carrying the name of, yeah, I don't know, fill it in whatever it is, but there are demonic powers. There are demonic forces. We don't want to ignore that. And so I want to say that about what was happening here. There was no separation of church and state. Things were mixed and muddled and worship of stuff and things and demonic powers. It was happening. And so what they're seeing is that the name of Jesus is messing that up. And so if these guys, this Demetrius, he provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen when he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Hey, you know we get our money from this. We make money by making these statues and providing silver and sh shaping them and crafting them into these gods. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. How dare he? Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also... It looks like Artemis and the whole thing is just going to go up in smoke. The very one all of Asia and the world worship. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! 
So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. So they couldn't get Paul, but they found a couple that believed in what Paul was saying. And let's bring them in here, ask them to answer for this. Verse 30, Paul wants to go in. The disciples are like, no, <laughs> I want to go in there and talk. No, you're not going. So even Paul, the guy who wrote half the New Testament, needed to be told no. Needed somebody to give him wisdom. He's a human being. And to say, this isn't wise to do this. You got to know when to hold him. You got to know when to fold him. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Right? Kenny Rogers. Here we go. Oh, sorry. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, disciples didn't let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing, some another, because the assembly was in confusion. Most of them did not even know why they were there. Whatever it is, I'm against it. Right? It's, it's the way things work sometimes. And I think there are demonic powers fueling this. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him to the front. Motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, they all, listen to this, they shouted in unison for two hours. Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours they shouted this. When the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, can you just stop saying that? <laughs> so I think it's like, two hours is enough. We get it. Artemis is great. Just shut up. Listen for a minute. People of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis? You guys have made that known for two hours now. And of the image that fell from heaven. Don't take that phrase right there as just like random nothingness. There are demonic powers at work in Ephesus. There are demonic powers at work in the world. This is not a flesh thing. It's a spiritual thing that's going on. The fight for your heart is a spiritual thing. Therefore, since these things are undeniable, we know it to be true. We know that she's the greatest. You must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, court is in session, baby. Bring it. There are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. If you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with writing for what happened today. Since there's no justification, we can give as a reason for this disturbance. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. So, Jesus is so powerful. The name of Jesus is so powerful that things start to crumble. And it brings disturbance outwardly. It brings disturbance to their businesses. It brings disturbance to their... Nobody can sit by and just have lunch in Ephesus. Everybody's fired up. Everybody's there. Things are moving and God is pressing on hearts. He's pressing on hearts, moving them to respond. There are demonic supernatural forces at work, and there are people who are in their flesh rejecting. How, where does that line get drawn and where does it end? And the people, be, I don't know, but I just know it's happening. Two hours in unison shouting for their God. But here's the, the place, and this is kind of what I, I want to end with. Our legal system is pretty darn, it's pretty awesome. 
It's, it's amazing that you can actually go into a system and not be declared guilty. You know, you can actually have an opportunity. But there are loopholes, right? We've all heard about different cases and things like that where stuff gets happening. There is a court. There is a legal court with a judge that is actually perfect in how he handles every case, every question. And so I listened to this, and this was a, this was a pagan. This is somebody who didn't know God yet, and he was actually saying, bring a case. Bring it forward. Let's go. Let's go to court and talk about what just happened today. I was compelled to say to you, whatever your case, whatever your questions, whatever your doubts, the things that you were struggling with, bring your case against Jesus. Bring it. Because here's what I know. If it's legitimate, it will stand. If it's not, he will win your heart. He will win your heart. And the thing that you think is so problematic for you, he'll solve it. He will pass beautiful judgment and you will say, oh my goodness, that's right. That's right. And it's also a reminder to us that the judgment that we all deserve because of the sins that hold us captive, our bent nature towards sinful things, things that reject God, that say, I want to be right. That judgment was passed on Jesus, but you don't have to have it. You can try to do things in this world, in the flesh, in the courts of this world, and you can get out there and do that. And there's important things that are happening out there for sure, but bring your case to God. If it's legitimate, it will stand. If not, he will win your heart. And ask the worship team to come forward. Lord, thank you for just more stories, more evidence of the power of your name at work in the lives of people. I'm so compelled, God. Lord, even as I, I drove in this morning and just glanced up at the heavens and the stars, Lord, and just thought about your creative power and your ability to move, your ability to press on us and to, Lord, cause amazing things to happen. Like even just in this chapter, amazing transformation. Are people giving up their whole life for you to say, I want to give my life to this Jesus that Paul is talking about, and I'm not going to do what I've been doing anymore. Evidence of your spirit at work, Lord, evidence of you cleansing people's hearts. Lord, what you're doing in Kentucky right now, we welcome your spirit, Lord. We welcome your spirit. God, people are lining up to confess publicly their sins to worship. They sense the pressing hand of the Lord. And God, we celebrate that as the body of Christ, but we also celebrate that you are not far from us. There is a sense of, in the scriptures, cosmic geography, 
a theology of place, Lord, that you inhabit temples, you inhabit ground in the Bible, holy ground. But there's a clear transformation and a change when you show up, Jesus. And specifically in this little book we've been studying, there's another change that happens which says, hey, by the way, the holy place that can be inhabited by the living God is you. It's you. That is fabulous. Give us understanding, Lord. As we sing a few more songs here, God, would you press on us, Lord, press on our hearts. Give us the grace to respond to you, Jesus. Amen.